You're listening to a live recording from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. Thanks for joining us. Happy Father's Day, everybody. It's so good to have you joining us online on this uh, day. I know that there's uh, people actually gathering in homes in our home churches uh, that we launched uh, last week. And so, so great to have you uh, together. If you are uh, doing home churches, wonderful. If you're not, there's still opportunity to get involved in one or to start one. Uh, We'd love for the entire church to be involved in home churches. Well, I'm speaking this message uh, 10 days, actually, before you will be watching it on Father's Day. Um, And the reason is because I'm in some denominational meetings that I have to travel to in Texas uh, during the same time that I would I would be with you on the 21st. And I say that because so many things are happening so fast in our society and in our world today. And so in 10 days, who knows what could be going on in our in our world. And and yet I believe that the word that God has given me to share with you today is applicable not only in this moment, but in every moment. And, uh, and it's been to challenging times these past uh, few weeks uh, for all of us and for pastors in particular because of we have in our churches, we have people who um, are saying we should say more about racial reconciliation. We should say less about it. We should, uh, we should start meeting. We shouldn't start meeting in, in, in person. And all, all, we have all of these voices. Um, and so it's been a challenging time for me personally. And I know for our country, it's been horribly challenging. And, and I've been reminded, though, in this moment, how much we need the hope, the peace, the wisdom the love and the kindness of Jesus to intersect into our reality. You know, it's easy to forget the way of Jesus during times like these when the the politicizing of every issue is happening all around us. they're, They're pushing us to take a side. And in this moment, I have been convinced of this, that it's time for us as a church to double down on Jesus, on his way of love, to respond to the, the issues in our lives to, to, in the way he would, to respond to racism and how we respond to persecution and, and, and how we respond to the world around us uh, in, in, in his way. Let his way inform our way in these times, especially. Well, so last week we launched a series on the miracles of Jesus. Um, it's all about rediscovering who Jesus is uh, through what he did uh, in working miracles and to apply that to our present situations and to our present lives, but also to allow what Jesus did and the way in which he did the mer- his miracles to allow that to inform our own actions toward others who especially are broken and hurting in this moment. So today we're going to look at Mark chapter 5. If you have a Bible, you can grab one. Um, most of it's going to be on the screen uh, with us, and, uh, but I'd love for you to follow along. Jesus in this, in this chapter he heals two people. Um, consecutively. Uh, First, an influential man's daughter approaches him. We'll read this. And then a a woman who had been uh, shunned by her community because of her disease, he also is going to heal her. And these two healings are actually recorded in three of the gospels. They're also recorded in Matthew chapter nine and Luke chapter eight, if you want to get kind of more well-rounded perspective on these miracles. So we're going to be looking at the narrative in Mark chapter five. We're going to start in verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him and he he was beside the sea. And and then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. 
And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And so Jesus went with him and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. Now, we're going to find out that this daughter of Jairus is 12 years old. And, and, and as you read this text, you can hear the desperation in Jairus's voice. You can hear how, he's imploring him earnestly, come quickly. He knows that if he can get Jesus in proximity to his daughter, something might happen. A healing might take place. And then right in the middle of this, as Jesus begins to follow Jairus to his house, verse 25, there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus. And so she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, listen to this, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. Let me pause there for a moment and just think about the desperation that this woman was in in order to do what she did. We're going to talk about that more in just a moment. Verse 29, and immediately the flow of blood dried up. As soon as she had touched his garments, the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? Well, the disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, I mean, he, she's, she's caught with the hand in the cookie jar. She knows that, I mean, she can't get out of this. She came in fear and trembling. We're going to find out why she was, she was afraid. And fell down before him and told him the whole truth about her condition, about everything she had experienced over these last 12 years and, and what, what caused her to come to him, all of that. And he said to her daughter, I just, you got to underline that word daughter, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Now we're going to come back to Jarius and his daughter in just a moment, but I want you to, I want you to understand what's going on here with this woman. She had suffered with this disease for 12 years. She's broke. She spent all of her money on that. It's getting worse, not better. Not only that, the Old Testament had declared that this woman, because of her disease, the type of disease that she had was unclean, which means that everything she touched Everything that she had, that she would lay down on, everything that she set on would be considered unclean. Not only that, everything that she would touch, anything that she had touched, including people would be declared unclean as well. Therefore, she wasn't allowed to go to the temple. She wasn't allowed to have, uh, to offer sacrifices. She wasn't allowed to, to practice her religion, to worship in the context of the community for over a decade. She had, 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 had no connection, no touch for 12 years. Quarantine for us has been, what, a couple of months, three months at best, and we're going crazy. Imagine this woman, 12 years of this, of not being able to practice her faith in the way that all of us get to practice our faith. And, so, and then not to mention the shame and the desperation that she was experiencing because of this disease, the, the shunning and the, and, and the rejection that she had experienced. And 
And, and before we go any further in this narrative, I, we got to go back a ways to truly understand the miracles of Jesus. We need to go back 1,500 years. So I want to take you on a, on a journey to 1,500 years before this moment when Jesus healed this woman to a guy named Moses. So around 1500 BC, Moses uh, marched some 3 million Hebrews out of uh, Egypt, a nation of slaves, three days into their deliverance. They get thirsty and they start complaining because the only water available to them is from a well that has turned bad. The water is no good. So God tells Moses to do this. He says, throw a tree into the water, a branch into the water. And when, and when he does, the water will turn sweet. So that's what he does. And the water turns sweet. And then God says these words about himself in Exodus chapter 15, verse 26. I am the Lord who heals you. It's a declaration of who God is. It's, it's so significant. One of the first names that God gives himself after delivering the people from slavery is Yahweh Rapha. Now, when I was typing this out, my autocorrect put Raphael. I just want to make sure we're not confusing that with the turtle. Anyway, that's a joke for maybe my younger group in the church. Anyways, Yahweh Rapha, which means the Lord is my healer. The Lord is your healer. Three months later, after this, Moses goes up to Mount Sinai. He gets the Ten Commandments, uh, and God reminds uh, the people of Israel what he did in delivering them from Egypt. He recounts that, and then he says these words in Exodus chapter 19, verse 4. I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, why is this important? Because God's wings, as in, in all of Scripture, are a symbol of his covering and his protection. It's a symbol that God is a place of refuge. So this idea of, of bearing you on eagle's wings and overshadowing you, this idea of protection and refuge. Uh, and then Psalm 91, which is probably written by Moses, he says these words, those who, those who live in the shelter of the Most High, those who live in the refuge of God will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God and I trust him. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. So why is this important? Well, Check this out. This is amazing. In Numbers chapter 15, I know I'm kind of going all over the Bible today, but in Numbers chapter 15, God wants to help his people remember that he is their shelter, that he is their refuge, that under his wings, they can find comfort and protection and safety. And so he wants to remind them about this. And so he, he instructs them, the people of, of, of Israel, to uh, put tassels on the corners of their clothing tassels on the four corners of their clothing. And, and, and most wore robes. And so you can imagine this idea of tassels kind of hanging from the bottom edge of their robes. And, and, and he did that to remind them of who God is. Well, how is that going to, how does tassels on the corner of your shirt remind you that God is your protector? Well, the interesting thing is that in Hebrew, the word for corners that was used in these passages, Psalm 91, um, is the word kanaf, 
which is the same word that is used for wings in Psalm 91. So in Numbers 15, he says, put these tassels on the corner, knaf, of your uh, robe. And it's the same word to describe the wings uh, of God's protection and safety. In other words, the corners of your clothes should remind you of God's protection, his deliverance, and his healing. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to, you know, ask that the application of this message is for all, all of us to sew tassels on the edge of our clothing. That would be ridiculous. But in Malachi chapter 4, Verse two, it says the son of righteousness, talking about Jesus. Now here's a prophetic word about Jesus. The son of righteousness will rise with healing in where? His wings. And you will go free, leaping with joy like calves let out to pasture. The son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. And then 400 years after Malachi is written, Jesus shows up. Guess what? Wearing robe, a robe with tassels on the four corners as he says these words in Matthew chapter 23. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings. But you wouldn't let me. And then this woman, unclean, needs protection, needs to find healing, but has been rejected to go to the very place where she could find that healing. No, she's just, she's just I, if I can just touch the hem, the corner of his garment, I can be made well. It's a great book um, that uh, one of the chapters in this book talks about this story of the woman. It's written by Charles Martin. The book's titled, What, what If It's True? And I, I just want to read a portion of that to you. She has come to the end of herself. She doubles the cloth rag between her legs, covers her head, more so than usual, crowding her eyes and brows so that she might not be recognized. And the crowd passes. He's in the middle. Jesus is in the middle. Everyone's attention is focused on him. She files in behind, out of sight. And then gathering her nerve, she begins picking up her step, working closer, weaving, elbowing. If she's caught, she will be disciplined. Greater shame, complete and total public embarrassment. Both, I love this phrase, both bleeder and believer, she picks her way through the crowd. And just a few steps away, the crowd encroaches. She has to elbow her way through. She knows she is in violation of the law. If she's caught, she doesn't want to, she doesn't even want to think about it. A few more steps. And there he is. An arm's length standing next to him are several men who look like they're from Galilee. The loud big one must be Cephas. She's heard of him too. The crowd shoves and pushes and tightens and she is losing sight of this man named Jesus of Nazareth. In desperation, she lunges, extends her reach and grasps the corner of his garment, his shirt, the tassel, the wing. She clings, holds tightly. He feels the tug feels the power leave and she feels it enter. Oh, 
This story is so impactful. This woman was so desperate to find healing, not just for her body, but for her soul as well. Well, let's come back to the father waiting. I mean, put yourself in his shoes just for a moment. I mean, he's like, my, my, my daughter is on her deathbed. And Jesus, you must hurry. We, I mean, I know that if you can just get into proximity with her, that things can change and, 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 and something good can happen. And, 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 and imagine what his response is to this interruption. And, and then his desperation turns to the worst news a parent can receive. Look at verse 35. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. And Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Now he knows she's dead. He's, just, he's saying this, this, this child is not dead. He has a different perspective about death. And they laughed at him and he put them all outside. And he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha, Kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them not that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. I guess if you die and come back to life, you're hungry. And so Jesus, knowing this, helps them out. The question that all of us must answer is where do you go? Where do you go when everything falls apart. Where do you go with your questions and your doubts? Where do you go to get answers? Where do you go when you're bleeding and broken? See, it's not just about physical pain. Jesus comes to heal holistically. He says to this woman, daughter, which is inclusive, is like, you're back in the family, girl. You, I never wanted you out. You're back in daughter peace be with you, this idea of shalom, this idea of holistic healing that Jesus wants to bring into our lives spiritually, socially, emotionally. We've been weakened by years of brokenness and we find ourselves as a people and as a nation today anemic and we need the healing touch of Jesus in this moment. See, Matthew chapter 14, it says that soon people were bringing all their sick to Jesus to be healed. They begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe and all who touched him were healed. All who touched him were healed. All who came into proximity to Jesus in this moment were healed. How desperate are you to be made whole? 
How desperate are you to see true reconciliation and redemption? Are you as desperate as a father about to lose a child? Are you as desperate as a woman who's been shunned by society and everything she's tried has failed? I know this to be true in my own life. Sometimes we have to get to a place of despair and hopelessness to the end of our rope before we reach out to Jesus. Jesus, I've tried everything else. I wonder if Jesus has something for me. And I'm here today to tell you from personal experience that Jesus has risen with healing in his wings. He has risen to call us sons and daughters to include us into his family. He has risen to give us peace, shalom, wholeness, security, prosperity. And as I said earlier, I'm doubling down on Jesus. I'm putting all my cards, all my chips, everything I have into his corner. I'm going to refuse to, to, to politicize uh, all the issues that are out there. I'm going to find myself at the feet of Jesus and ask him to bring healing and wholeness to my life and to our nation. He has the answers to COVID and to injustice and to racial reconciliation. This is the month where uh, four years ago, my oldest son on June 16 died in a car accident. As you can imagine, um, the grief is still real, still present, it's still with me. Um, You don't get over uh, some things, you figure out how to walk in the midst of them. And in these last several days, I've been reminded again that my hope in this life and in the next is in Jesus. That I can't make it without him. That I can't find peace and wholeness and life on my own, with my own effort. I have to find it at his feet by moving into proximity to him and reaching out and grabbing the hem of his robe. So will you run with me today to the shelter of his wings? Will you reach out with me to get close enough to him, to touch him, to experience his goodness and his love and his grace for your life? See, the words of Jesus to the father in this greatest moment of desperation was don't be afraid, just believe. Just believe it speaks to our souls. So Jesus, we, we run to you. We, we know that you have the answers to life and though we don't understand the nuances of why some people are healed physically and others are not, what we do know, Jesus, is that you are with us in our grief. You are with us in our uncertainty. You are with us in our pain. You are with us in our brokenness and it's in you that we can find hope 
and healing. So we run to you, Jesus. I wanna speak to those that haven't yet made a statement of faith in your own life toward Jesus. I want, I want to in, extend an invitation to you to say, just to pray a simple prayer. Jesus, I put my trust in you. Jesus, I want to follow you. Jesus, I want my life to be found in you. I want, I want, I want to touch you and be near to you, not just in this moment, but in every moment. I want to follow you. I want your word and your teaching to impact my life and to change my heart and my mind. I want, I want to be close to you. And you can just say a simple prayer like that right now and make a statement of faith in your journey with Jesus. And in home churches all over the region, um, we have some discussion questions for you as well that you can engage in dialogue uh, about with your home church uh, right after this uh, message or whenever you're watching this message. Um, I'm, I'm hoping you're eating together. That would be a really good way to, to launch into conversation. But uh, a couple of dis uh, discussion questions is discuss in your, in your group, how does the healing power of Jesus, how can that tr heal our land? How can his presence, his healing power impact our present circumstances in our nation? And two, what does doubling down on Jesus, on his love for us right now mean for you and for your group, for the people? Just a, more of a personal question. What, what does doubling down on Jesus and his love for you mean to you? Well, have a great Father's Day. I'm so glad that you guys joined us today. I, I'm, I'm praying for you as you meet in groups, home churches all over uh, the region. And uh, God bless you guys. We'll see you next weekend.